0: This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. Did you guys have a great Christmas? Did everyone get what you wanted for Christmas? That's the better question. No. I have a confession I need to make. Actually, I need your help with something. Uh, Specifically, I won't say any names, but three ladies of the church sent home cookies and fudge and treats to my house and uh, it's your fault that I ate so much. And so uh, specifically the peanut butter fudge two ladies had uh, given us, and I got in trouble with my wife. I was eating too many too fast. So uh, um, if that's the case, uh, I, we had a great Christmas, great time with family, uh, great time just to kind of relax. And uh, um, every time Christmas comes around, uh, I kind of will do... a a little bit of personal uh, self-reflection, if you will. I'm not one that my wife asked me just the other day, do you have any resolutions that you've set, any goals that you set? And, and I'll be honest, I'm the type of person that says I never really do because nine times out of ten I lose the goal or I fail or I just don't complete uh, the resolution. And, and that's the question I had this morning. If, have you ever set goals as we finish uh, what I believe has just been a tremendous year here at Oasis uh, not just for the church, but I think individually we see God do some amazing things. Um, so we look at and we examine uh, the goals and resolutions we may have set in the past, and we might even look back and say, well, how long did that goal really last? In uh, some cases for me, not much. Uh, some some goals uh, are completed, and, uh, and I don't know each and every person's goals, but there are certain goals that... Uh, get completed. But when it comes to setting goals, when it comes to resolutions, I think there's really two schools of thinking behind it. And this is more my opinion, uh, more than anything else. Uh, the whole purpose of setting a goal is to achieve something, is to like, look out, do something. And, and there's some of us that just might have the personality of, hey, I don't set a goal because if I'm going to do a resolution, I'm just going to change right here, right now, and then boom, do it. I, I wish I had more of that attitude sometimes. Um, but each one of those mindsets kind of have their perks, they have their merit. When I look back at this past year, my wife and I have uh, um, been married uh, coming up uh, this past month, we've been married six years and time just flies by, like six years, where did it go? Uh, We have an almost four-year-old, which (laughs) if you want to see a very disturbing video, we got our ears pierced this past weekend and it was... It was torture. I I cried inside. I'm like, my poor daughter. Um, Anyways, uh, so we look back. It's been a great year. But when I reflect uh, on me personally, uh, when I look back over 2018, I look at just accomplishments or or progress that I've made in certain areas. And like for me personally, I really focus on three areas. And uh, and each of us may have different areas we focus on, and that's completely okay. That's fine. Um, Those three areas I look at, number one, are my walk with God. Number two, the leadership of my family. But also, number three, the execution of my calling or my vocation or my job. So I always look at the walk with God, my leadership and role in the family, and then the execution of my calling. You know, some, some of those specific areas had goals. Some of them had benchmarks. Some of them were accomplished, and some of them were not, kind of like the story of every time we do a resolution or we do a goal. Um, so when I reflect, I ask myself this question. In, in any of those three areas, whatever the goal or the benchmark was, I say, God, what could I have done better uh, to accomplish some of those goals, those benchmarks, whatever they may be? Um, and when I really pray and ask God about it, humbly, I kind of quickly realize that when it comes to doing better or to, to advancing in, some of the, in those three areas, I personally uh, realize that I'm way in over my head. Um, and and we're going to see a little bit about what that means here in the message. So uh, let me stop and say this. Setting goals and resolutions is not a bad thing. If you don't set goals and resolutions, this message is not about making sure you have a list in the next day and a half uh, before the new year starts. Um, The idea here is because a lot of times when we set goals, if we don't complete them, have you ever felt like extremely defeated and you're like, oh, I didn't get that done. Like this past week, I ate way too many cubes of fudge. I got in trouble and I felt defeated because I didn't hold true to that not as much candy goal. Uh, I was doing really well at Thanksgiving and then Christmas hit and it was all downhill from there. Um, anyway, so uh, a lot of times though, when we set goals and, and things like that, and, and, and we're going to explain a little bit more about this here in the, in the lesson a lot of those goals and standards and whatnot can be kind of self-imposed. They can be man-made. They can be to a point where um, they, they may have the best of intentions and, and very well, so I hope, have biblical principles and, and concepts underlying them. But at the same time, there's, we make goals, I think, sometimes that may be a little bit too over the top or maybe a little bit uh, too much. But at the same time, um, the question really boils down to this. And, and it's simply this. God, what is your goal for my life? What is the resolution? What is the one thing, God, that you would have me to do uh, for my life? As Christians, that ought to be our mindset. That ought to be our heartbeat. Um, I'm not trying to make that statement super broad or like very vague. Um, I'm, I'm literally trying to say that God has a specific mindset or an attitude that I believe if we apply it to every area of our life, including the goals, the resolutions we set, then I believe we will do, be, and grow Into exactly what God wants us to be. So, the title of the message this morning is simply this the right resolution. So, if you're gonna make one goal or one resolution this year, this is what uh, this upcoming year, this is what I believe would be from the Word of God for us to uh, apply. And um, and so, you may apply this as like the foundation as to every goal or resolution you set this next year, Um, or you may just say, hey, this is the only resolution I'm gonna make. So, uh, what is this resolution? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I know you're just like sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for me to explain it. But that's why we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. So Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, the Bible says this, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you so much just for the opportunity this morning to to, uh, to preach and just to share what you've laid on my heart. Lord, I just pray in these next few moments that you would uh, just uh, use me as a vessel and just communicate uh, just these truths and these principles uh, of your word uh, to this church this morning. Lord, we love you. Ask this in your name. Amen. So in our teen class, we've actually been doing a verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians, and ironically, we haven't even gotten to this passage yet, but I want to give you a little bit of a background of uh, the book of Ephesians. um, For sake of time, I won't call out on our teenagers to answer all these questions, but some simple uh, background facts, if you will. The author of the book of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul, and he's specifically writing to Christians who are in the church or churches of Ephesus. It depends on what uh, commentator you look at in regards to the fact that there's churches or a a church in the city of Ephesus that Paul is writing um, uh, to. Ephesus was a very multicultural melting pot of a city. In a lot of ways, it's like Las Vegas. Um, It was a city that was located on the western uh, coast of the Aegean Sea and what's in modern-day Turkey today. And because of that pristine location. It was a very major trading port, but it was also uh, a place of a cultural melting pot. You had a lot of Roman religion. You had the Greek uh, religion, and you also had Christianity there kind of just being all uh, there in in that culture. So Ephesus was very multicultural, but specifically here, Paul is addressing the Christians that make up uh, the church there in Ephesus. And what is a Christian? Well, Paul says it all throughout the previous chapters when he talks about this idea of in, uh, the identity we have in Christ and what Christ did on the cross for our sin. You see, the Bible very clearly tells us the very real account of a God that loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to go on a cross and to die for the sins you and I have committed, past, present, and future. Um, I heard it said this way. Uh, just the other day, I read something where uh, a friend had, was, had an opportunity to, to witness to someone and he said something to the effect of, of, uh, the, the person asked him, what's the difference between your religion and other religions? And, and uh, my friend said it this way. He said, there's a difference because my religion talks about what Jesus did for you. Every other world religion talks about what you have to do for whatever it is. And, and so it opened up that guy's eyes. like, I've never heard it said that way. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid our sin debt. You know, we just got done with Christmas. We just got done opening up uh, Christmas gifts. I got some pretty cool gifts this year. Um, this is when you realize you're becoming an adult, when you get like three or four gifts, and your kids get like 30. And you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> it's like, what happened to the days of me getting all the gifts? But, uh, uh, but the great part is, is you get to take all the old gifts away and donate them, and boom, the new ones are there. Um, so, when Jesus put salvation on the cross, when he paid our sin debt, the gift was freely available to whoever would receive it. The work has been done. So, a Christian is one who has a relationship with Christ, believing in what he did and dying on the cross for our sins. It's asking for forgiveness of those sins and beginning a relationship with him. Throughout the previous chapters, Paul spoke about many topics, including at the very beginning of this chapter, the, the parents and the children relationship, and, and, and but that's a whole other message for a whole other day. Um, in this section of Scripture, I believe he's teaching Christians in Ephesus on how they are to act when it comes to their day-to-day life in respect to authority as well as anyone who is put in charge over us. Um, Paul, inspired by God, gives us in a short five-verse nutshell how we are to live our lives and what attitude we display in doing so. But we also have to understand the context of who Paul is speaking to. In the church age here in Ephesus, servanthood, bondsmanship, and slavery was very, very prevalent. Now, this isn't a message on the, the 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 moral side of that and whatnot. It's more or less Paul was addressing a group of Christians inside the church that for, for lack of a better term, were either bond servants, servants or, or, or in slavery and was teaching them from a biblical perspective of, hey, this is how we ought to act. So as long as we know that's the context, today we as Christians in 2018, almost 2019, can look at some of the principles that Paul is telling these people to say, hey, this is how you ought to act, this is how you ought to be in order for us to live our day-to-day life the way God wants us to live it. So what is this secret one right resolution we're going to look at four concepts from these verses um That'll show us, I believe, exactly the resolution or the goal that God wants us to make. And and I'll give you a a hint right now. It's not one of the four major points that we're going to quickly go through this morning. It's actually kind of tucked away in there, but I won't hide it too much longer. Uh, Number one, uh, verse five right there. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Right off the bat, number one, I see that we ought to obey the master. We have to obey the master. You know, when I got married, the master in my house changed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I do obey my wife. Not Actually, if she were honest, she would tell you, no, I don't. Uh, but she has been a tremendous help me. But when it comes to our Christian relationship with God, um, we are, in a way, a, a servant un- under Christ. We are to submit under Christ. When it says, servants, be obedient, I see right away a call to obedience. The idea here is that they were to show the excellence of their religion Or their relationship, which they professed. I don't know about you, but I love um, watching sports, and specifically, I love it when an athlete gives it his best. And you notice when he just goes all out. But you also notice the other side of the coin when the athlete, maybe the game's out of reach, or or they just kind of get lazy, and and you're like, you can do better. You see, when it comes to our walk with God, we ought to be so obedient and be obedient to the point where our testimony, the fact of who we believe in, emanates from us so much so that people take notice right away. There's something different about that man. There's something different about that lady. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.18, servants, be subject to your masters, idea of being placed under that of authority. Uh, We are called to be gentle. We're called to be kind. We're called to be obedient as Christians. In Colossians 3.22, the Bible says, servants obey in all things. Your masters according to the flesh. Um, I remember growing up in Sunday school, I remember the teachers uh, teaching us this idea of the word all. And if you've been in any type of educational surrounding of school or as a student or as a teacher, whenever you define a word, you're often told to define the word without using the word you're defining. Does that ring a bell to anyone? Well, I had young teachers that said to me, you know what all means? And we're like, what's all mean? They said, all means all. And then I'm kind of like, you just use the word in the definition. That doesn't work. But at the same time, um, we know what the word all means. It means everything. It means every aspect of it. And so in Colossians, we're to obey in all things our our masters according to the flesh. Masters may be in charge of what we do, physically speaking, but they do not control our spirit. And I want to stop right there for a second because it's very easy to go through a list of things, checklist if you will, um, we go through checklists every day at work, we go through tasks that need to be get done, we have a list of things that we want to get done around the house, check, 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 check. But the relationship we have with Christ, I believe, is never intended to be a checklist. And, and so when it comes to our, 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 the, the belief we have behind this obedience, it's not a question of just obeying, but how we obey. Um, it says with fear and trembling i see there a call to reverence a call to respect as we obey the master servants ought to fear their masters in the sense of not offending them not displeasing them it would honor god for the servant to perform his task with a willing mind than to be rebellious i go back to as a child when uh, mom or dad asked me to do something and if i went ahead and did it and like had the right attitude with it i would go do it But if I would just take the trash bag out of the can and stomp off into the backyard and drop it in the trash can, I had a rebellious attitude. I didn't have the right hard attitude in that step of obedience. I looked at that um, in hindsight uh, because you see everything you did wrong as a kid magnified with your own children. And then it's like thrown right back in your face and you're just like, Yep. Thank you, Lord. Um, and so I see that with uh, partial abuse. Just the other day, uh, we're, I'm taking McKenna to bed and part of the routine was, all right, go take yourself to the, go potty, go to the restroom. And so she literally, I walk into her room and she goes into the bathroom. And then like half a second later, she comes back in the room and she goes, daddy, I'm done. And I'm like, you didn't even go. I didn't hear the toilet flush. I didn't see the sink turn on. You didn't even have enough time to do that. I'm like, you're no superhero. You're not flash. You're not just going to fly around like that. And so we had a teaching moment of how not to trick and how not to lie to dad. Um, but I will say this. I've seen it a lot more within my relationship with my children that if when they disappoint or do something wrong, they they know it. And, and, and you just see this like fear in a way come over. They're like, I don't want mom and dad to find out. I don't want to disappoint mom and dad. And I go back to my childhood and directly relate to that. But when it comes to the reverence, the respect, we ought to not be rebellious, but have an attitude of honoring God. But we also, it says here in verse 5, in singleness of, of your heart as unto Christ, I see a call to sincerity. I see as servants, we are encouraged to have a simple, sincere desire to do what needs to be done. The idea of see the need, take the lead. When those who serve above us, excuse me, when serving those above us, we are really uh, serving the Lord. No matter who we are or what we do in life, we ought to be serving the Lord. Our, our, Our pastor says it all the time. He says, I'm not serving you. I'm serving God. And in serving God, I'm serving you. Like if we ever put a quote on a plaque that says, Pastor Aaron, that's the quote But it's such a good quote because our job as Christians is to serve the Creator and the Maker. And if we do that with the right heart, with uh, unto obedience and reverence and sincerity, I believe we can obey the Master the way God intended us to. Number two, this is an interesting point. Don't be fake. Don't be fake. Why? Because people can see right through us. Look at verse 6, the first part of verse 6. It says, Not with eye service. As men-pleasers, what does it mean by eye service? Eye service. When when Paul is saying, look, don't just do this obedience when those in authority are watching. You know, as a kid, we had a chore list, and we had five things we had to do in the afternoon, pretty much per sibling uh, in the house, and it had to be done before mom and dad got home. Well, guess what happened about ninety-five percent of the time when we heard the dogs bark. That means a parent was in the driveway, and then when they would come in, what were we doing? Vacuuming, mopping, you know, doing our chores. And, and so with eye service is how we act when no one's looking. I see here a call to character. You know, we tend to perform better when there's direct oversight above us. Now, um, I've had the, 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 the joy and the privilege and sometimes the fun, spirited debates over the last year and a half to work with Pastor Aaron. Usually those spirited debates revolve around sports. Um, Notre Dame didn't belong in the playoff anyway. Um, that being said, um, if Pastor Aaron was in the office day-to-day looking over my shoulder, I would have an innate tendency to make sure I'm doing my best all the time. Why? Because he's over my shoulder watching me. You know, and That would be the true in any case with any of us, with our employers and our bosses. Um, we don't want to mess up. We want to please the boss. We, we don't necessarily all the time have the same thoughts or the same work ethic if the boss isn't around don't worry i'm not going to confess what i don't or don't do you know um not while the boss is watching no, anyways um but that being said now obviously paul here is talking to those that are in, in, in bond servants in the context of slavery in a way um but he's basically talking about this idea of character because who's always around who's always watching Even though that the the boss, the immediate boss may not be there, God is everywhere and God is always watching. And so when we do well without oversight, the master usually then extends to us what's called liberty or freedom because we have proven that the task can be done without us necessarily being micromanaged or being watched. I believe that is a sign of growth. I believe that is a sign of maturity in our walk. The Bible says if we're faithful in little, God will allow us to be faithful in much. And so... There's a call to character that we don't just do these tasks with the right attitude because of us being watched. The call there is to be consistent, that we would be the same no matter what. But also, when he talks about not as eye service as men pleasers, the idea there is that we are to be called to work for God. We ultimately work for God. He is in control. He's the ultimate authority. In a real-life situation, you ask yourself the question, well, who do I obey, the boss or God? The answer is really not one or the other, it's, it's both. Now, are there going to be times where we might be put into a compromising situation? It has happened. I've heard plenty of stories of a boss asking someone to do something that violated their belief and violated what they went. They believed the Word of God and the Bible says. And in most instances, I've seen those people go to said authority and say, Hey, I want to respect you. I want to do what you're expecting of me. But because of this, I can't do that morally and feel right about it in most situations there have been bosses that have said you know what i apologize i'll ask someone else to do it or in some situations it may have been a job change or it may have been like a a a big step of faith there but the call here is if we're obeying and uh, respecting and uh honoring the boss if you will and not being fake then we'll realize that hey we're also honoring and respecting and living uh for god you see, people sense genuineness. People can see authenticity. And I know a lot of that is subject based off of people's belief and whatnot. But the idea is simply this. You can be a Christian and you can check off all the things of, I attended church today. I read my Bible this week. I, uh, I, um, I, I tithed in the offering plate this month, Um, and and I could have all these things. But if our attitude behind it is not where it needs to be, it's just a checklist. It's just obedience for the sake of obedience and not obedience for the sake of the reason why we ought to obey. So number three this morning, the latter part of verse 6 into verse 7, I believe we see here an idea of if we're not going to be fake, we need to be real. In verse, the middle of verse 6, there's like this division in the verse where it's like, not with eye service as men pleasers, but, so we're being told how not to act, and, and now in verse 6, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And verse 7 says, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. I see right away a call to dependency. You know, as believers, we are called to serve God. You know, God wants us to rely on him with our every need. You know, society today may tell us that that's a sign of weakness. It may tell us that's a sign of, um, a, or a lack of independence, if you will. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of this is strongly influenced by my relationship with Christ throughout a majority of my life. But to me, what's not, it, relying on God is not weak. I believe that's a strength. And I'm not talking about my strength. I'm talking about His strength. I believe that God wants us to depend on Him. 1 Corinthians 7 22 tells us for he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman likewise also he that is called being free is Christ Christ's servant you see Paul here talking to the church of Corinth says it doesn't matter if you're free or or if you're if you're serving the Lord if you're in bondage or free from bondage our job as believers is to serve the Lord we're made free in the Lord free from what free from the bondage of sin you see when we were born each and every one of us had, quote-unquote, a death sentence tied to us because of our sin nature. My little Abilene is eight months old. Eight months ago, when she came into this world, um, I, I say this joke, and I don't think my wife really likes it, but one of the first things I say to my kids when they're newborn, I'm like, I love you, you little sinner. And, uh, and uh, well, because number one, they it's hard to imagine. How can this precious little... Um, but we're born with the sin nature. The Bible tells us because of the sin of our fathers being passed down all the way from Adam, that we're born with a sin nature, a desire to not do what is right. And my daughters, as precious and as perfect as they are, um, Abilene right now more so than Kenna because Kenna sins more. Um, anyways, um, but at the same time, regardless of that, they, they, they have that innate desire to sin. And one of my biggest prayers as a parent is that at a young age they realize their sin and they realize their need of a savior. You see, throughout the history of Israel they had the law to show them that they needed a savior. And and, and when Christ came, he, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to be the fulfillment of it, saying, I'm the I'm the Savior that's dying on the cross for, for your sins, so that through me I paid your sin debt. And through you asking me for salvation, you can come to heaven with me and my Father forever. One of the things I've realized as a parent is my daughter's desire just to hang out with Dad. Like, I could be working in the garage, I could be doing a project, I could be watching a, a superhero movie. And she's like, Dad, can I watch with you? Dad, can I work? Now, the last couple of days, there's been some projects where I'm like, can I, I don't want you here because something might fall and hurt you, and then she just looks all sad, and I feel like a horrible dad. Um, but at the same time, we are called to be dependent. You see, to serve is to submit, to depend on, to rely on. Doing the will of God, a call to do God's will. We do, we ought to do what He calls us to do. So what does God call us to do? Well, what's the Great Commission say? The end of Matthew, to go into all the world and to teach the gospel. So we're, we're, our job as Christians, as believers, is to go everywhere, whether it's, whether it's in our neighborhood, in our Jerusalem, whether it's in a nearby state in Syria, wherever, wherever that may be, or whether it be to the uttermost with, with uh, uh, Scott's here this morning, one of our missionaries. You know, through us partnering with him and praying for him and financially supporting him, we as a church have a part in the ministry he does <clears throat> every single day. And yet our job is to, to go and to teach the gospel. But what about the purpose of the church? Ephesians 4.12 tells us, <clears throat> that is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's one of my favorite verses in the study here uh, when it comes to that my job as a Christian is not to be perfect, but it's to be faithful in the process of becoming perfect like Christ. Am I ever going to reach the perfection level of Christ? No. But it's my job to stay faithful to where other people see how I act or how I carry myself, that they look and they see a difference. We're, we're, to, we're to work for the ministry. We're to build up the body of Christ. A call to do good's will. But look at here uh, in this idea of being real, we're also to call to do it from the heart. This here is the right resolution. These three words at the end of verse 6, from the heart, I believe, is the right goal, the right resolution that each and every single one of us can make before 2019. And let me tell you why. If we simply look at our Christian walk, the way we lead our family, or the way we execute our job or our calling, and if we go through all these areas that I talked a little bit about earlier, and we have those little checklists, if you will, and if we're just simply checking stuff off without having the right heart attitude behind it, as I said a moment ago when it came to chores at home, if my heart's not in it, then it's not obedience. It's not faithfulness. It's just simply checking off a list. Now, I'm not preaching against lists today, so don't go home and say, Pastor Dan says lists are of the devil. Um, No, it's good to organize. It's good to have things done. But when it comes to some of these goals, it can be a goal to say, you know what? I'm going to read my Bible more this year. That's a great goal. That's an amazing goal. I was challenged by something pastor said a few weeks ago. Instead of reading the Bible through a year and just check off chapter, 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 he's like, I'm going back and I'm studying some of these books and I'm taking time to, to really read and digest what these passages and what these stories and these narratives are saying. Um, it may be a goal to say, you know what, I'm going to be in church more. You know, as a, as a pastor, I'm going to kind of share a little bit of a secret and we don't look down on people for this. It's just one of those nuances you see in churches. Um, I had a discussion about this just the other day, that on two given Sundays at Oasis, we will see almost, for a good portion, two different groups of people. And, and, and I'm not here to like beat down on anyone. We love when people come. And, and I mean, this morning, the music, the worship time, that was amazing. Like I love coming as as Pastor Aaron said, just to be with family. I got to sit down with Miss Elsie this morning and talk with her for a little bit, just to just to hang out and whatnot. I love that. But you know what's funny is when uh, if I were just to say I'm coming to church to check a list off, and not because I love to do it, then my heart's not in the right place. You see, it may be reading our Bible. It may be attending church. It may be giving more to God financially. It may be giving more to God of my time and my resource. But if your heart's not in it, it's not in it. I knew families growing up that say, oh, how often do you go to church? Oh, I go to church once a month. Oh, really? Why just once a month? Uh, so I can tithe, so I can put my money in the offering plate. And I'm like, huh? Like, it's 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 so the Christian walk is so much more than that. It's about being fed the word of God, being poured out the love of fellowship, and the love of the time we get to worship and whatnot. It's not just about money. And yes, the financial pastor is saying it's not just about money. It's about the heart. All those other things are surface issues. It got really quiet when I said money. I'm just <laughs> um, so we are called to do it from the heart. Religion. Listen to this. Religion is doing what God wants us to do based off of a checklist. A true relationship with him is doing what he wants us to do because we love him with all our heart. A true relationship is doing what he wants us to do because we love him with all our heart. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. In Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said unto them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. So when I hear this idea of doing it from the heart, I think of this idea of doing it the best way you can. Um, Going back to a sports analogy here, usually when athletes perform, they're giving it their best. They're doing everything they can. They give it their heart. But if we get to that end of the game and the lead may be comfortable, sometimes they'll kind of take a step back. Sometimes they're like, I'm not going to go 110% on this play because I might injure myself or I might hurt myself. You see, in Christianity, there's no off plays. It's every play of every day, of every down, of every game, that we are to give God our best, our 110%. uh, We have a heavenly Father who loves us so much that He sacrificed His Son for us. He gave us His best when we didn't deserve it. So how can we not do our very best for Him? How can we not do our very best for Him? The love of God should motivate us to live for God. It says there in verse 7, doing with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. It's almost repeating again, uh, a call to remember. It's like, hey, you're doing this, God's will. It has to be from the heart. But you're also, remember, doing this because you're serving the Lord and not man. But fourthly and lastly this morning, this is for everyone. Verses 8 and 9 tells us, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And verse 9, And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. You know, we have an award to look forward to when it comes to serving God. You know, as in the context here, Paul's saying the, 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 that man that may be in slavery or in servanthood or, or as a bondservant, the award they looked forward to was what? Was freedom, was uh, redemption, was to be, to, to be free, to live the way they wanted to live without being under bondage. You know, as Christians, we have an award that is given to us in salvation that we look forward to. It's called Eternity. We have a God that loved us so much that he gave us his best and his son to die for people that didn't deserve heaven. But because of his love, a love that cannot be equaled, a love that cannot be matched, we can be freed from the bondage of the eternal punishment of sin. Of all the different world religions out there, 99.9% of them cannot say that. But the relationship we have with Christ can say, God loved us so much. Christ came to die for us. He paid the sin price with his blood. And because of that, through him, through salvation, we can freely accept salvation. Can I tell you something? Sometimes as a preacher, we can hit that and beat it down like a dead horse. But it's really the most exciting thing we can talk about and share about and preach about in all of the entirety of Scripture, in all the entirety of our life. The fact that, hey, I love you so much that I invited you to church today so that you can hear the gospel and you can hear how much God loves you so you can give your life to God and ask for forgiveness of sin. And so when you die, you too can be on your way to heaven. This past weekend, I, uh, this past week, I get a text message from uh, uh, my uh, uncle. He got rushed into the hospital um, 10 years ago, had a, uh, a procedure um, and there was a complication that surfaced just this last week from a procedure he had 10 years ago. And uh, we're sitting there talking about it, and there was a little bit of frustration with that and whatnot, but he was there. He went through a procedure and got it remedied, got it taken care of. But then it made me reflect that 10 years ago, the procedure that he underwent was a procedure that scared him to within an inch of his life. We made this joke, and I've probably stated it before from this very pulpit, that he ate. He lived by an In-N-Out burger and ate too much of it, and somehow that landed him in the hospital, um, which I still to this day cannot believe. Um, but the funny irony of it was it got him into the hospital. He had to go through some medical procedures, but he was scared to the point where for 13 years as a young child, I prayed for my uncle to get saved. And I had no idea the In-N-Out burger. had no idea that the, the organ complications that he was going to deal with were going to lead to the decision 10 years ago. But 10 years ago, he sat in a hospital room with my mom and dad, who are now both in heaven. And my mom and dad sat down with a Bible and shared with him how he can know for sure how he can accept Christ as his Savior. My uncle in that very hospital room 10 years ago accepted Christ. He said, it's not my life. It's not my plan. I am sorry for the sin I've done. It's what you've done for me. And he accepted Christ's free gift of salvation. And I remember the very phone call that day when he called me. I'm out in, I'm out in Foley, Alabama, eating, shopping with friends at an outlet mall. We just had this beautiful, amazing meal called Lam- at a restaurant called Lambert's. Ever heard of Lambert's? They throw rolls at you and you catch them and sometimes you miss and then they hit the people behind you. Um, and uh, uh, amazing restaurant. It was a great experience, but outside of the food and outside of that, I remember being at a mall. I remember being at an old Navy store. I remember looking at my cell phone and it said my uncle's name and I answered the phone. And I said, hey, what's up? How are you feeling? And he said, medically, I'm doing better but I just wanted to call you and let you know that I just placed my faith and trust in Christ and asked Him to be my Savior. I'd never seen a 22-year-old ball so much in my life. And I was... My friends came up to me, and I'm like looking at the khaki section at Old Navy. They're like, dude, why are you crying over khakis? And I'm like, I'm like, no, my uncle just got saved. I was praying for 13 years, and, he, and, and God got a hold of his heart. And, and can I tell you something? That what The lesson that taught me with that is don't give up on your loved ones. Don't give up on your family. Pray, 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 because God is able to get a hold of their heart, whether it's next week or whether it's 15 years from now. Um, but at the same time, we ought to have that love. Um, to, to share uh, the message here. We have the award to look forward to, and that award is eternal life. It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from man. All the awards and all the toys and all the joys we can have here on this earth pale in comparison to what we have in eternity. It doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter if we're a servant. Doesn't matter if we're a slave. Verse nine. It doesn't even matter if we're the master, because this entire message, in the context, Paul was sharing to those in slavery, and says, "Hey, masters, verse nine. Look, do the same things unto them. See if if it, Paul's emphasis here was on the bond servant. He said if you treat the master the way you ought to be treated, master, you ought to treat them the same way they treat you. Why? Because you have a master. That's God in heaven." And and, and and the treat subordinates the way they treat you. Be merciful. God's in control. God sees us all as equal. So the right resolution is simply this. Serve God with your heart. Do your best with your heart. Whether it's attending church more, whether it's leading family devotions, whether it's stretching the finances, saying, God, I'm going to, support your work and your ministry more. You know, the whole idea of the gospel message isn't supposed to be kept in-house. It's supposed to go out of these walls. It's supposed to go into this community. And, and, And yes, sometimes that takes finances. Sometimes that takes resource. Sometimes that takes volunteering, and that takes time. I made the joke earlier when Pastor Aaron was talking about this Saturday, we have a men's breakfast and then we have a cleaning and then we have an outreach opportunity. And I'm so thankful that Pastor Aaron explained it that way because I could have been in very trouble saying men's breakfast, cleaning, and then naturally people would think, wrongfully so, that it was the woman's job to clean. I'm like, no, this is for everybody. But at the same time, look, we have an opportunity to fellowship together. We have an opportunity to to make this place, the Lord's house, look great but we also have an opportunity this upcoming Saturday to go out into the community and say, hey, can I invite you to my church, Oasis Baptist Church? My daughter this week discovered uh, the name of our church in a way. She, she, uh, when we transitioned from our previous ministry to here, the two churches were Papa's church and Daddy's church. Well, this week we discovered that the name of our church is Leaf or Leafs. And I'm like... Just going in the right direction. Alan was telling me that this morning. I'm like, no, it's called Oasis. But can I tell you something? Over the past year and a half that I've had the privilege to be here, I love Oasis. I love being here with family. And, and I don't say that to do this or anything like that. I say that because, number one, we're a body of believers that loves the Lord. But we're a body of believers that also loves our community and reaches out. I, I'm not gonna call names, but I'm looking around the crowd right now. I see people here right now that came to Oasis in the last twelve to fourteen months, they're here right now. But you know what? Their friends are here. Their family is here. They've invited school friends or whatever it may be that are here at Oasis. And, and the truth of it is simply this: it's not about a checklist. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about God. I'm going to give you my best. Pastor Aaron and I, we were chatting a couple weeks in the office, and we talk about goals and we talk about different things. And uh, one of my, as a, we mentioned it earlier, one of my biggest heartbeats is to quote-unquote please the man. I want to make sure expectations by me are <clears throat> being fulfilled, if you will. And uh, we were talking about the idea of like him and I have different wavelengths. Well, we kind of do things differently and whatnot. But he said to me, he goes, it doesn't bother me that you do it differently. My challenge and my encouragement is that you just do it your best. And that stuck with me. Because if I do it my, with my, at my best and if I do it with my heart, then it's evident that it's a passion. Does that make sense? That people will see that there's something unique about us if we do it with our heart. If we're doing it just to go through the motions, people see that, and that's what the fakeness is. So this upcoming year, 2019, <coughs> whether you make a list of lists or goals or resolutions, and like I personally will break it down with my walk with God, my, the leadership of my family, and then the execution of my calling. That's how I break it down. And there might be some things that I write down this year that I may not have wrote down last year. But can I tell you something? That list is simply just a list if I don't do it to the best of my ability with my heart because I have a passion for God. He had the passion and given his son to die on the cross for me. Why shouldn't I be passionate back to him and do the same for him? Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you would you please email us at info at oasislv.church.